Welcome to Sports Ball, a Baltimore sports collectibles podcast. I'm Danny Black, and in this podcast, I'll be talking about sports cards, collectibles, and the entire hobby industry. We're going to cover topical news, industry guests, and anything else that crosses my mind. I hope you'll subscribe, join us as often as I can get these out, and enjoy the episode. So welcome back to Sports Ball, a Baltimore sports collectibles podcast. Uh, per usual, I am a procrastinator, so I am getting to my 2022 forecast uh, before 2022 ends. Uh, one of my neighbors still had their Christmas lights up, so I figured this was still fair game. Uh, some of what I'm going to talk about is sports, some is a, a, uh, a category, uh, some are people, and uh, all, all these recommendations are, are all categories that I see as good investments. Some, some of that means a hot investment, a quick riser, some of that means a safer long-term play. So it really depends on your goals, but these, these are the areas that I feel comfortable um, recommending, and certainly a lot of these areas where I've already been putting my money over the last couple months and will continue to. Uh, let's start out with the least surprising, soccer. I am the one millionth person to tell you soccer is hot. Yes, soccer is hot. And yes, it continues to grow. And yes, it's international. Yes, the, World's Cup, the World Cup is coming up. And yes, it's already been hot for a year. But there are a group of young stars and a group of young American stars coming up. There are living legends who are still in the part of their prime that, that are going to be in the sport for a while. So when you look at guys and, and, and you see, you know, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame quality players and Messi, Ronaldo and, and those guys. And at the same time, you've got such young talent coming up, the Hollands and Mbappes, and their prices are going crazy. And so when you have that that much market pull at the top, you know, rising tides raise all waters so you know to me that the the pipeline and the prospecting that goes along with so many other sports i mean soccer is a perfect sport these guys uh, a lot of times are scouted at 16 and 18 on junior teams uh they are bought they are transferred so you get a sense of what some other teams might think of them uh so to me that that, that uh, this is not breaking news but I, I am a big fan of soccer moving forward tennis i think it's underrated I do not think it's nearly the size of growth that soccer is going to see. But uh, what Serena Williams has done both on and off the court uh, has really changed people's view of tennis. Uh, the men's side, you know, lessons, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, uh, and then what? Um, so those guys have been around forever. You know, there is some value in their early stuff. And I actually think they their stuff will go up slightly, although uh, Djokovic is, you know, not the most popular guy, certainly in Australia. Um, but tennis is another international sport, so you're going to have other countries with their players and, and, and as they're successful. Naomi Osaka's stuff was very hot earlier this year. And then Serena sets a record, you know, with two of her cards selling just under and just over $100,000 uh, for each card. You know, that, that shows there's value in this sport. Uh, and then to follow that up, hockey. Um, you know, it's interesting. Upper Deck was the only uh, license holder not to, not to lose their license to Fanatics. Um, and that means one of two things. One, uh, hockey is not big enough or not profitable enough for fanatics. But there is a strong niche market. And, and you don't have to have uh, the most volume to be profitable. You have a very strong base. 
in Canada, you have a growing, growing, growing loyal base, specifically in the last two decades in the United States. And now you have the intersection of vintage memorabilia being huge, and that plays right into hockey. Hockey is made for vintage memorabilia. Everything from the sweaters and the sticks to the pucks, the skates, uh, eventually the goalie mask. Uh, you know, there's just so many things. So not just hockey, but uh, vintage hockey memorabilia. And that'll cross over with some of my other stuff coming up. Uh, just, just like soccer, not breaking news, but don't sleep on something. Just because uh, you've heard about it for a while does not mean it, it's a bad idea. Tickets, and specifically graded tickets, could be the number one growth category for the year in tangible uh, sports assets. Uh, the pop reports are extremely low, and there's so many different games that are important to so many different people. Your your, your market is almost indefinite. Um personally i'm looking for an oriole ticket from august 24th 1983 if anybody has it i got news for you somebody does and if i can buy that ticket i'm gonna probably pay more than the ticket's been worth the last couple of years I and mean, that's just where it's going that's what i expect and then you get into you know hall of fame games and famous games and rookie games and debut games and you know record-breaking games the list goes on and on psa is grading uh you, you've got your pop reports so everything's in place for that to explo explode, and I think specifically the graded ticket market, uh, you're gonna. I think you're gonna see some of the other grading companies get much more involved. Uh, we talked about it with the hockey, but in general, I think memorabilia is is a huge area that uh, people are gravitating to, especially uh, with with high end investments. Uh, the vintage play once again. You you don't have to worry about prospecting. You don't have to worry about a torn Achilles. Uh, you know a lot of a lot of this stuff is both historical in nature. Uh, it's, it might have a, a true sports value and in sports history, uh, but more importantly, you know it, it's memorabilia typically connects to a player, a time, or a game. Uh, so so there's a real strong emotional tie. And anytime you have an emotional tie, you quite often end up with a financial tie. Uh, memorabilia, not, ju not just the, the individual items, but fractional ownership. I think that's going to be a huge growth area. And on the memorabilia, w specifically with uh, uniforms, uh, the game worn, I think that's going to start shaking itself out. People uh, with cards have become a lot more uh, or have caught on to the fact that some cards, uh, when they have a patch or a jersey patch, it says authentic uniform or uh, player worn, but it doesn't say game worn. Um, and it does, does, and it it sells itself, I think, to appear that it's been a game worn piece. So, uh, you know, I th I think people will gravitate to the stuff that is clearly game worn. The good old fashioned mutual fund uh, of collecting sealed wax. It was in style last year. It was in style the year before. It'll be in style this year. It'll be in style next year. Uh, it, it's the, you know, it, it's just the ultimate investment. Um, here's the trick: you really can't open it. You just can't. Put it away. Make sure it's protected. Don't touch it for a long time. Um, by nature, supply goes down every year. So the longer you hold on to a set that's or a case or a box, every year more of those cases and more of those boxes get opened, get lost, get damaged. So you are, are creating a shrinking supply you know, just by sitting on it. And, you know, you should pay attention to what you're buying. Not any box, uh, you know, is a good investment. But if you pick the right sport, the right year with the right players, um, the boxes a lot of times go for more than some of the best cards and the potential to, to pull them. 
um, you know, doesn't even make sense at some point, um, but the money is still spent on the sealed wax. So definitely an area that I, I just love to throw a couple boxes on the shelf every year. And we talked about this earlier uh, with tennis, uh, but women's sports in general through the roof. Um, and it might already be too late if you're not on the bandwagon, uh, but pay attention. You are going to start seeing an explosion. Uh, the one area that I think there might be a little bit of room to really sneak in with um, is the vintage uh, women's sports area. There wasn't a lot of product, um, not until really the WNBA and, and some of the you know more recent soccer uh, items has there been a ton, um, but there are there are definitely things out there, and uh, there's great social media sites. Uh, Women of the Hobby does a great uh, YouTube channel, and uh, right now uh, Sabrina Iescu's rookie card I went to get far too much for me um, when when that came out. So uh, that just shows you the support and the growth uh, behind those. So that just you know kind of gives you an overview uh, uh, from my from my perspective of 2022 and kind of heading forward. I'm excited for uh, you to hear from our next guest, Ryan Nolan. Uh, he is the man when it comes to uh, spotting fakes, and uh, a lot of people have been getting busted with fakes recently. So stay tuned, and we'll have Ryan coming up next. I'd like to welcome Ryan Nolan, author of Spotting Fakes, onto Baltimore Sports Collectible Podcast. Uh, the reason I wanted to invite Ryan on is uh, he uh, came to, to this uh, part of the hobby right coinciding with the boom. And uh, unfortunately, one thing that's not new in this industry are people trying to take advantage of each other. And uh, not only did he uh, put out some tremendous uh, social media content and continues to do it literally almost every day. But at this point, you can say he is the author of the book on fakes because it is spotting fakes. And it examines the top 50 fake cards of all time. And that's with Stephen Lazar. Uh, Ryan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So I only like to have people on the show that, that are true collectors at heart. There's a lot of people that, that are happy to make money on the industry, and that's fine and you know, good on them. But uh, I really like talking to people that are collectors at heart. I assume there's no way you end up in, in the uh, sordid world of fake and counterfeiting cards. And I'm somebody with a printing background, so I understand uh, some of what you go through. So uh, how did you come to the hobby? Uh, talk to me about you know your, your childhood. And uh, are you like everybody else? Or are you a collector? Yeah, so I got in the hobby because of my dad. He owned an LCS in the 90s, and he ended up selling it and getting out of the hobby um, and when I was born, he used me as an excuse to get back into collecting cards once again. So when he sold his LCS, he got rid of everything. He got rid of his like very well centered and apparently near mint the mint Koufax rookies, like a 69 uh, Mickey Mantle, which he says also was pretty mint condition, bunch of other really great cards. But I remember those are two of the cards and I wish I kept that. And in 1951, the first card in that set, it, um, what's the guy's name? Man, I'm having a brain fart. The guy's name, 52, set number one. It's Mindy Pafka. That's what I thought it was. I just didn't want to sound stupid. All right. And then he also had the 1952, number one, Andy Pafko in pretty much near mint shape as well. Those are three of his top cards at the time and even liquidated those when he had his shop sold. And uh, when I was born, he was like, all right, I'm going to get back into cards. So from a really young age, I started learning about cards, especially on the vintage side, because what happened with my dad and happened to a lot of other LCS owners is they got burned in the junk wax era. And he was like, look, the vintage cards are still worth money today. All those junk wax cards, 
You can find them in dollar boxes for days. The biggest stars of the day, dollar cards, $2 cards, $3 cards. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sure, of course, there's anomalies, whether it's the Tiffany cards. It's not really junk wax. And then you have like the upper deck, uh, King Griffey Jr., which for some reason continues to go for so much money, even though if you look at the print run and graded run on those, it's absolutely insane. Griffey, really popular, but man, uh, there's so many of those out there for the value that it's going for in the hobby. But besides like those few anomalies, the junk wax era was really, really bad uh, for a hobby from the standpoint of the value on the cards. So from a young age, I learned always, you know, go gravitate towards vintage. And, you know, my first PC I built with my dad, uh, was pretty much actually jersey cards of Hall of Famers, uh, pretty much 50s, 60s, 70s, and some pre-war as well, if we were able to find those, as well as vintage cards. Now, I didn't get into pre-war baseball cards until a lot later because my dad had no expertise on it. He knew 50s through 70s baseball and football, and that's what I collected with him. I assume so that was I his, I, I'm sorry, I assume that was his childhood. Yeah, I mean... So he collected, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say for sure, but I'm pretty sure he collected as a kid before he ended up opening up the hobby shop, but not hundred percent certain on that side of things. But anyways, I was learning fifties through seventies, baseball and football. I'd say probably like 80, 90% baseball, some football here off to the side. If you can find a nice card and always learn condition wise, focus on that side of things. So we always try to buy cards that were pretty much near mint condition, maybe X if it's depending on the player, depending on the year, but always something that has some really, really good eye appeal. And I learned early on by going to different card shows and the card shows I went to when I was a kid were nothing like they are today. You see all the flashy card shows, you see all the cameras, the expensive cards. I went to flea markets and mall card shows, the mall, the mall dealers that are there just having fun, hanging out. And then the flea markets where people just have the bargain bins after bargain bins. It wasn't expensive showcases. Sure, there's people there with showcases and a few graded cards here or there. But, man, it was just going through those boxes, finding those stars. And back when I went to card shows, I never used the eBay comps. I always looked at uh, the Beckett magazine and would research before going to the show what cards were on the rise. And, like, okay, I know these cards are the ones to go to. I went through the bargain bins and would find those cards and pull them off to the side. And I didn't sell anything. I just had a huge collection of those type of players where I'm like, yes, this is undervalued on that side of things. And before I even got into Beckett, what I did while my dad was actually looking for cards, I always just caught really, really cool cards or serial numbered cards from the 10 cent box. So I'd go through the 10 cent box. I had no idea who these people were. I'd find a gold card for like a top or a refractor. And I just put it in my pile and the different dealers were just like, ah, who cares? It's a little kid at that time. And, uh, yeah, so I continued to do that for a while. I collected through high school and college, but I never really built out any card content. I watched a lot of card YouTube channels, like Cards Infinity back in the day when I went from school, middle school, I'd go home, I'd watch box breaks box breaks, and like cases. I thought it was the coolest thing, but I was like, I mean, I'm not going to spend $500 or $1,000 on a box. It's, it's way too expensive for me, but being able to see other people open it up, and it's funny, like, now in the hobby, I don't watch any box breaks or anything like that. Just, I, there's no way I can afford these boxes. And also, I, I'm more of a singles guy. But back then, I used to watch that all the time going home from school. And uh, in college, I had a good friend, Steven. And we were both in runner's club. Uh, I'm an ultra marathoner, and he runs more like 5, 10Ks, but super fast runner. And uh, found out he collected cards a little bit, never went to a card show or anything like that. So took him to a card show in Orlando and really enjoyed it and you know, for some reason or another, I don't remember the full story, but we ended up building a YouTube channel 
I thought it would be kind of cool to record a few card shows because there's no content on Florida card shows on YouTube. And originally I wasn't the one on the videos, it was Steven, but over time I kind of took over the video side of things and he works a little bit behind the scenes. Um, but you know, from there, just continue to build out the channel. I really wish I started the channel a lot earlier just because, you know, obviously all those years of collecting, I could have built out so much more content, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad because I waited till I was a little bit more mature and was able to actually make good content on that side of things. But it's always a learning curve. I mean, look at the videos I produced a year, year and a half ago compared to today, night and day difference. So who knows if I started earlier? Well, I love the fact that you're passionate and I love, love, love that your dad had an LCS. Um, it sounds like exactly at the same time I was a, a dealer at card shows. I had at one point, I think, 35 Upper Deck Griffies in my case, you know, back when, back when you could get them like dollar bills everywhere. And uh, it was tremendous. You, you're right. It was Beckett Magazine every month. It was the up arrow and down arrow. That was the big, that yep. was the, that was the big data. Yep. And the hot list. Uh, so it, always, always study those. And I, I also, I, you know, the funny thing is too, I always used to go through Beckett and find discrepancies. So sometimes they were really bad at updating prices on someone that performed really well throughout the season or like a hot prospect, you know, sometimes they forget about a card that they have. So I'd go through there and then use those comps and get uh, cheaper cards. If I was going after the newer guys on that side of things, it, it was fun. Cause it's like, yes, hurt for a dollar. And you know, it's really should be like a five or $10 card. It was the original data analytics, I guess. Um, it so was. Who did you, uh, or do you, or did you ever PC a certain player or team? Who was your team growing up? Yeah. So I'm a Rays fan, but I, again, I, I I'm more of a player centric person. So at least on the modern side of things, besides my vintage PC and the Jersey card PC I was going for, my first two P's were PCs were Clayton Kershaw and Giancarlo slash Mike Stanton. And Stanton, I'm from Florida. Obviously I'm a race fan, not Marlins fan, but always saw his highlights where he just hit these laser home runs. And I bought a lot of his cards early on in 2010, 2011, 2012. And, uh, you know, all the way through his monster season before the cards back then spiked. And, man, I really wish the hobby spiked when that happened because could you imagine how expensive some of those cards would have went if he had a 59 home run year and then all the rumors that he was going to go for the Yankees? I mean, I, and sadly, I also think of Jose Fernandez. I mean, they had so much talent coming up at once out of that system. It's crazy. Yeah, and they had Yelich as well. Then they also had JT Romuto. Um, who else was on that team that they had that they traded away or I mean, they, had, they had a lot of talent. Well, they, I know there were some minor figures. They, they were the classic build it up, win it all, break it apart, re, rinse, yeah. repeat. Marlin's history, man. But uh, yeah, so I, I lucked out with Clayton Kershaw performing extremely well and Stanton, you know, besides his injuries, if you look at his stats, he did fairly well so far for his career and he still has quite a while on that Yankee contract with maybe yeah. at least four or five years. So he has some time. I still think he'll end up hitting 500 home runs, but before his injuries those last two years, people thought he was going to hit 600-plus home runs for the longest amount of time. It's it's the data behind things. Uh, you can start looking at players and analyzing, should I buy this card or should I buy this card? And unfortunately, how the hobby has gone the last few years, the realm of prospecting has gotten so far out of whack where prospect cards now go for more than inner circle Hall of Famers. And it really kind of stopped me from purchasing a lot of prospects that I think have potential just because of how expensive is it it is and you're like man this guy has to perform better than these other legendary players is he going to stand the test of time because most prospects don't pan out and even those who pan out how many are actually going to make the hall of fame 
it's it's very very slim and the hobby right now is in a state where everyone thinks every single prospect is going to be the next mike trout or even mookie bets which is funny because a lot of these prospect cards are more expensive than mookie bets rookie cards you were trained properly by a vintage lover people <laughs> people who grew up and love vintage just just think about the hobby differently so typically i i love vintage uh much more passionately i find that in the uh buy and sell profit game i find myself more modern um i do find myself pcing more vintage and more long-term investing in vintage i don't know if you feel the same way that no yeah i mean you flip you flip modern cards and then put it into vintage but i mean sometimes you can flip vintage cards if it doesn't fit in your pc or you already have an example which you have is a higher grade like let's say you have a seven as a mike schmidt rookie and then you find a three in a deal do you really need that three unless you want to have multiple copies and you can move the three and put it into something else? Well, it's one of the things that I think with all the grading companies, hopefully they all go to registries. I think it's one of the things that drives a lot of the vintage market are those registries. Uh, real quick, um, you know, I, I loved your book. Uh, part of it scared the bejesus out of me because I own some of the cards. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm reading along. I'm just, God, this is interesting. It makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if I'll have that one. Yeah. Don't really love that guy. Wait a second, hon. Grab it, grab in the box up there. <laughs> I, I need to check a font on something. So uh, I, I bookmark a couple of these, and and uh, I want to tell you how much I want to find out how much trouble I might be in. The first one, sure. uh, and and I actually got this card. So that card is highly fake. There's more. So when like eBay announced their whole authentication thing this week, I was pretty happy because. I mean, that card won't fit in that 750 threshold, but when they lower it down, eventually it will. But that card is so fake, man. Like, every time I've seen that card at a card show, it's been fake. So here's the interesting story, and this this is why um, I'm sure everybody argues with you. But mine is real. So here's why. First of all, I got it from his son. Second really? of all, it matches your picture. Third Perfect. of all, PSA rejected it. Yes, they rejected it as fake. Hmm. So, um, th th this this is this is I mean, this book is real world. Like this is real world. But you know, for for those of you listening and think these are hypotheticals, and it's only the Dallas Card Show and two guys who get arrested. So much more. It, it is so much more. So, um, I am actually going to resubmit this Unitas because I matched up the uh, the the one in in the nineteen. And I am absolutely, you do a fantastic job. First of all, I have a printing background. How the heck did you get the details of the book to match what you were trying to express to the reader when everything's about the quality of the printing? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like, like, how do you get your book to show what you wanted to show as a physical oh, book when, I, when you're talking I, I about the images? Yeah. I, I got it through Amazon. So Amazon was able to print it out in color. I mean, it, I don't make a lot off of it because I spent more to get it colored rather than a black and white book. But, you know, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, the details were incredible. I was actually wondering, you're talking about details of something else that's printed, and you're trying to replicate that in a page and show those same yeah, details. It's, it's, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit worried if those pictures weren't going to come out right or not, but they came out perfect. Okay, so here, here's another card. Jordan Rookie the Jordan Sticker. My client, I picked this up from last week. It's in my submission box that is going to mail out this week. What do I have to be worried about? With those, usually it's darker skin tones or darker colors on it and not a sticker. 
I mean, it's, it's as, as sad, but funny as it is, the fakes aren't actually stickers where the real card is a sticker. And you can really tell if you put one of the legitimate stickers next to it versus a fake. I mean, it's, you can tell right away just looking at the printing quality and the colors. Because I like with a lot of, oh, like, like with a lot of things in this book and what I talk about is always have a real reference example next to you. And like that Jordan, there's other players in that set. You don't have to specifically have that Jordan. You can have someone else that's cheaper and you compare it side by side and go, okay, well, look at the color difference on the stock. Look at how thick the stock is versus how thin the stock is. Look at how you feel the, the surface of it, how it's so much different. And Because what happens is these scammers are trying to pass it off on someone that's not educated. You really, really need to be educated on what you buy. Obviously, there's some exceptions if, you know, something extremely rare pre-war-wise, you've never seen it before. Maybe you take a, a gamble on it at a card show. Like, I have a Franklin over here. I had no idea what this was about, but I took a gamble on it because I knew, at least from the printing and yep. the gold borders, it could be anywhere from 1880 to 1910, right? But like, unless you know those type of details, you don't take gambles on things. You buy what you know, and you just continue to educate yourself week after week. If you don't know something, ask whether it's a dealer, ask social media, Twitter, Instagram. There's always people out there that have the knowledge. So just go out there and ask questions. Otherwise, you're going to get burned on fakes. One thing I love that you just said was, you know, was some things are unique and, uh, the, uh, and I'm just going back, was, was it a couple months ago already the Huey Jennings, uh, one of one back? Um, do I have that correct? Yeah. It was like one of the auction houses sold it. Yeah. So there was a one-on-one -on -one back that had never been seen before. So like you're saying, if you're educated in the product and you know what you're talking about and you said, I've never seen this card with this back you may at an antique store or at a flea market find, find that rare one of one or, um, it's possible, but I, I will say there's people that take their skin off the backs on Tito sixes and put on fake backs. So be very wary on the Tito six, one of a kind backs. And I even talked about in the book, like if it's a one of a kind, I would stay away from it. Like, I mean, obviously there's a lot more details into authenticating something like that. That's one of a kind, but if I saw that raw, I probably would have stayed away from it because there's no other sources of it. Okay, and, and a lot of terms have come up, and people use them, I think, uh, sometimes wrong, sometimes uh, knowingly, and sometimes unknowingly. But uh, I want to separate it uh, for a lot of the listeners. When they hear the term fake versus altered versus art card, reprint, uh, all my favorite uh, eBay search terms. Uh, yep. so, so, so kind of cover what you consider a true fake and what is an art card, which is one of my favorite. Yeah. Terms. So there's a few different things. First, what is like a true reprint? That's when a, co a company, let's say Tops or Panini or Upper Deck reprints a card that they once produced or even a, of something they have the brand ownership of. Like Upper Deck owns, I believe, Gaudi. So they can produce, I, I assume, because I know they did stuff in 2008. I assume they still have it. But let's say they wanted to build out another Gaudi. Uh, Babe Ruth from 33 or 35, and they recreate it this year. And they're going to mark it as a reprint. They're going to say it is a 2022 card on the back. That is a reprint. However, if I wanted to reproduce that Gaudi Babe Ruth from 33 or 35, and I set up a printer, I print it out, and then I try selling it, that is a fake. That is not a reprint because I do not have the rights to actually make that card and sell it. I'm making it from home. And that's the difference between a reprint and fake. Now, you have a lot of people in the art side of things that have entered this community and whether they draw or build out their own cards or cut cards up. And that's what an art card is. And I, I really like art cards um, just because how much time people put into it. And it's just another way to view it as a hobby. You're getting 
unique people in here just that want to buy these art cards now. And um, my card killer did a really good job on it. He just did some art cards probably a few months ago with 61 basketball cards. They were like near beat up and altered. So he transformed those, cut them out, and then made a really, really cool set out of it. It was a collaboration with the Tampa Card Shop. That would be an example of an art card on that. But yeah, stay away from the fakes that people are printing when we're printing in some printing facility without that is 100% a fake. Uh, one of the things I noticed in the book was a lot of the cards you warned about seem to be older. And I'm assuming yep. this is a function of the, the, the chromium and the newer printing processes versus the older styles. Um, is that an accurate uh, understanding? Yeah, there, there are fake chrome cards, but they're so obvious. It's, it's pretty, pretty bad. Um, people are still making like fake cards in the 90s and 2000s. I mean, I talked about the 2011 Mike Trout. It's a paper card, but it's still kind of a relatively modern card. People make a ton of fake 2003 LeBrons. It's one of the cards that was fake at the Dallas card show that caused the whole controversy. But there are fake modern cards, but most of the people are doing fake vintage cards. And they can pass it off because not everyone has that full-on education and aren't going to go the extra mile to make sure they buy something real. Um, it, now you touched on it. I, I've put out my own thoughts. Uh, the eBay authentication policy. Uh, I, yeah. I, I got to assume that this is a direct result of your book. I think you should take all the credit for this. Um, it has nothing. Yeah, there, to do there's with, no way with that one. Right. It has nothing to do with Michael Rubin being an investor in uh, CGC. But what are your thoughts? Uh, Fanatics is now making cards, uh, authenticating cards, grading cards. Uh, and eBay has done right by the buyer and the seller on the other hand, and they've protected both of them. So uh, wh where does this all fall out for you? On, so honestly, I was shocked about the eBay news. I did not see that coming at all. I didn't even know that they were authenticating sneakers and there's another industry that they're seeking. Or handbags doing, and watches. Handbags and watches. I, I remember, I thought it was watches, but I didn't want to say it. But yeah, so the fact that they're doing those and um, I, like I said, I'm pleasantly surprised because Anytime I go on eBay and look up 1986 Michael Jordan, there's more fakes than there are reals. At, like, and I talked about the video, it's wish.com when you go to the My 1986 Michael Jordan because everything on there is fake. There's fake slab. I wouldn't say everything, but there's real cards just bring out there. But there's fake slabs on there. There's fake Jordans, and there's some fake Jordans that are good. There's some fake Jordans that are laughable bad, and they still go for thousands of dollars even as the laughable bad ones. So I think this is something that needed to happen. And um, at first, I didn't know that they were also going to be authenticating this. And also uh, they said Jersey and patch cards were not at the first side of things, but they're going to start working on it towards the summer. So I was kind of against that 750. I was like, man, they're not going to authenticate the slabs or the Jersey cards or autograph cards. But then they said they're going to do it at least towards the middle of summer, towards any year. I'm pretty happy with that side of things. I think it is needed, but where the issue lies is how long is it going to take CSG to authenticate everything? Because right now they're backlogged like really, really backlog. And what's going to happen there? Now, eBay commented on my video, surprising, and they said it's only going to take between two and four business days to authenticate something. So that was really interesting. Uh, they also didn't say anything about alterations. So they said someone's just going to confirm that a card is real, and then they're going to put it on the wrap and send it off. But that brings a whole other side of things because altered cards, uh, should eBay alert people if a card has been altered or not, whether it's, you know, colored or trim should that buyer know because someone might think eBay authenticated something for them and there's no alterations. However, when you grade that card, a grading company will deem it as an altered product 
And there's a big area there because, you know, you can turn a card that looks like a PSA 4 or PSA 5 into a 7 or 8 if you trim off a corner. There's people that did it all the time in the past, and we're not taking a look at it. It's a big red flag for me. Yeah, and if you're younger out there, uh, Google the Wayne Gretzky uh, Hunnis Wagner card uh, for one of the greatest stories in, in the hobby history that went on for decades. Uh, my, my feeling on eBay, and, and not that you care, but my, my feeling is it's great, uh, you know, for, for sellers and buyers that use it as a platform, especially for income. It's just, you know, it's a form of insurance. Um, I do not believe it's going to remain a free service. I, I, I no, They said it's they said limited time and they already charge it with sneakers. But where I look at it is it's twelve and a half percent fee right now, plus like an extra five percent if you're not in good standing. So we're going to talk over 20 percent fees now on cards that's crazy especially there's other platforms like my slabs it's one percent so i do a, a fm radio show once a week and last night i literally started naming all the other sites that i would start listing on um yep. and my slabs for graded cards um, i'm in love with um and oh they're I, great yeah and i i think i'm going to start switching over this might be the camel or the straw that broke the camel for me so uh in general, you are quickly becoming one of the most quality content creators out there. I believe content creators come from two different directions. One of them is creator. One of them is content. You have fantastic content, and that actually helps Thank people. Um, I, I don't care what you ate for lunch, and I appreciate you not sharing those pictures all the time. Um, and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that you're well, doing I do post those pictures, though, on all the blogs. It's funny. I, I didn't want to actually call you out on it, but you're really good on most of your social. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is just, listen, people, if you buy cards, you know, I don't care if you go to one show a year, I don't care if you have a local card shop that you stop into a couple of times, you know, first of all, the book is, is it's easy reading guys. And it's about stuff we love. I mean, you, you know, this, this, this is not trying to, trying to pick up a war and peace and, uh, we throw a baseball card on the cover. This is fun. I mean, this was, this was good reading. Like I said, I'm literally flipping out, pulling out boxes of cards uh, and trying to match stuff up. Uh, one of the other things is the, the Bill Russell rookie, I think is at auction right now sitting around 300,000. And that's one of the most faked cards of all time. So it is. Uh, but those, those fakes are so obvious on those right now. Yeah, no, I don't think that one would have gotten through PSA. But, uh, you know, I, ju I just think it's, it's both timely, it's informative. Um, I was, uh, I think, one of the first people to buy off of Amazon. I, I didn't get an autographed copy, so I'll hit you up for that at the National or whenever we cross paths. And when, whenever whenever Maryland has a decent-sized card show, because I need to hit up all 50 states. I need to go to Maryland for one. Well, let me tell you something. If you want to come in, I think they're going to be uh, re-releasing that uh, – Baltimore News Babe Ruth uh, rookie as part of a whole new display coming up. So uh, really, that'd be cool. I know you guys need to, world. Yeah, you need a show though up there, man. Like I, yeah. I know a few people from Maryland, and they're like, "Man, there's no shows in the state." We, like, man, how can you guys have no shows up there? We got the national twice, and literally that was it. It was like all or nothing. I did mall. <sighs> I did mall shows in the '90s, and I don't think there's been anything else since. So I appreciate. Man, you that. guys, you guys need to like just all collaborate and build out a show there. Oh, I'd love to fly out there for like the first big Maryland show and have fun, record a vlog, and try some food. Oh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna put together a show now. Well, Ryan, wow. Ryan Nolan, thank you for joining us. You you can be found everywhere. Your your breakout cards at breakout cards underscore on Twitter. Breakout cards on IG and YouTube, and you also have the Moneyball cards, which is much more data focused. Um, and, and you come from a data background, so people can trust uh, what you're talking about—not just on fakes, but on the data side of it. Uh, you're not coming to this, uh, Johnny. Come lately on the uh, analytics side of it. 
try to try to educate people as much as possible. Full-time data analyst, so I apply that to baseball and other sports. I just actually bought a soccer analytics book, and I'm reading through that now this weekend when I'm flying to LA and back. I, Two flights same day from Florida to LA, and then LA back 24 hours of travel. So kind of reading time. I'm gonna try to figure out how I can watch the game uh, while I do all the recording tonight. Uh, with <laughs> Uh, well, well, thank you so much for being on. Seriously, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we finally got our schedules to connect and, and we could do this. Um, an absolute Absolutely. pleasure to have you. And th thanks again for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Ryan Nolan. And we will be back to wrap this up. This is Sports Baldy, Baltimore Sports Collectible Podcast. You know why this podcast sounds so good? Because I work with Leon at Digital Empath Studios, Baltimore's number one podcasting studio. For all your podcasting needs, contact Leon. He will help you get your podcast, your recording, your music career off the ground and in the right direction. He does an incredible job for me and for my podcast, and I know he will for you as well. That's digitalempathstudios.com. Thank you for listening to Sports Bolt, a Baltimore Sports Collectibles podcast. I can be reached on all social media at Sports Bolt, and that's S-P-O-R-T-S-B-A-L-T and online at sportsbalt.com. All opinions expressed on the show are solely mine or that of our guest. No information should be relied on for any investment decisions. Advertising packages are now available. Please contact me for options. Thanks, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>